Well, I am Pastor Scott Sheffield, pastor of Karen Seniors. I am not Pastor Ben. And if you're wondering where he is, I mean, he just started, right? Why is he not here? Is that what you're thinking? His daughter is getting married this weekend. Cut him some slack, okay? All right. Congratulate Ben and Amy next week when you see them. Today, we are talking about weak people living in a war zone. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, and I invite you to take your Bibles and to turn uh, in that passage, whether it's uh, the Bible you brought with you from home or the one that you're reaching for in front of you, or maybe it's on your uh, device in an app, and I encourage you to look that up. As you're looking for that, let me just introduce this subject. Um, I love reading the Lord of the Rings trilogy by J.R.R. Tolkien especially the epic battle scene that ends uh, this whole book. And apparently I'm not the only one, right? (laughs) This story ends with a monumental battle against a seemingly insurmountable foe whose power is ultimately overcome by virtues such as courage and goodness and determination. It's a battle between good and evil, the size and scope of which Middle Earth has never seen before. So let me just kind of summarize it for you. The Battle of the Black Gate is the final confrontation in the War of the Ring. And Gondor and its allies send a small army, and it appears that they're going to challenge the Dark Lord Sauron at the entrance to his land of Mordor. Sauron thinks that they have the one great ring that will control all the other magical rings, and he thinks that they mean to use it to defeat him. But in fact, the ring is being carried by two small hobbits, Frodo Baggins and Sam Gamgee, into the heart of Mordor to destroy it in Mount Doom. The armies of Gondor are moving in actually to distract the enemy from Sam and Frodo. The battle begins, but just as it seems the army of Gondor will be overwhelmed, the ring is destroyed and the forces of Sauron lose heart. Mount Doom erupts in Sauron's tower, collapses along with the Black Gate, and the army of Gondor returns home victorious. The War of the Ring has been won. Yay! It's a wonderful story, and it takes the reader from the depths of despair, thinking that all has been lost, to the heights of jubilation. Now, maybe my fondness for a heroic ending is due to our own living in an epic battle of good and evil, a conflict between life and death, between God's people and Satan. And one day, it too will come to a dramatic and astonishing conclusion. In the book of Ephesians, all the way from chapter 1 through the first half of chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes about Christian living, and then he ends his letter to the church by giving a brief but unforgettable look at the great ongoing battle between the powers of darkness and the kingdom of light. When I was writing this sermon, I could look out of my office window, and it was a beautiful day, uncharacteristically cool for August. You probably remember this. The high that day was 67. The sky was a bright blue, and the grass was a dark green And I was looking forward to my oldest son and his wife coming to visit us this weekend. I was drinking some of my favorite tea, in case you're wondering, it's red mango. I had my Bible open to Ephesians chapter 6. And this passage of Scripture seemed light years away from the idyllic setting that I was in. 
Paul is talking about the dark world and spiritual forces of evil. But that day, from where I was sitting, life seemed very peaceful. Sometimes it's difficult to remember that we are in reality living in a war zone, but we are. Since the battle we are engaged in is a spiritual battle, we don't always see the signs of it. Our thoughts and our struggles, our fears and anxieties and temptations are all a part of this fierce battle. We are continually engaged in this combat in a war that is hard fought and not easily won, a war in which the casualty count can include anybody that we come across every day of our life. It's no different for you or for any other person who has ever lived. We live in a war zone, and our lives are a battlefield. So let's look at this very important passage of Scripture uh, in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to begin at verse 10. I'm just going to read again over verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, Paul's spiritual battle cry rings out in these verses. Think of this as a call to arms, a bugle blast that is meant to awaken us, perhaps from passivity, and to alert us to the realities of this conflict. He encourages us to be strong in the Lord. Now, what does that phrase mean? We use it often, we hear it as well, but do we really realize what that phrase is communicating? Well, let me help you, hopefully, by sharing an example from my own life Uh, this past week of living in the Lord versus living in my own strength. One day this this week, I was sitting at my desk knowing that I was going to be standing here this Sunday preaching, and I had very little written down beside the general idea and the passage of Scripture that I was using. As I sat there with my Bible open and a mostly blank computer screen, I was trying to will myself to write a sermon. But what was I actually doing? I wrote an anniversary card to a couple in my Sunday school class. I printed out some things from the meeting before, the night before that needed to be filed away. I even hung some decorations up on my wall. None of that was wrong, and all of it needed to be done eventually, but my mind was being sidetracked. What I needed to do, and what I eventually did do, was go to the one who could change this for me. And so I asked God to remove all the distractions that were before me and and maybe even to bring to mind something that maybe was unconfessed that was blocking me from being able to write this sermon. I asked God to fill my mind with the sermon that I would be preaching today. And then I thanked God in advance for what I knew that he would do. And the words just began to flow. As I studied that phrase, be strong in the Lord, this is what I found. I can't just focus on these five words in one sentence. I needed to look at more context. And so if you read the whole verse, it says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, in God's might. How is this possible? 
Satan's power over Christ's followers is already broken, and the great war is won through Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, which forever conquered the power of sin and death. Now, we all know from, from our own world, from reading history books or watching the news, that a war could be decided, but battles are still going on. That's what's happening in our lives. The war has been won against Satan and evil, but we are still doing battle today. There are still skirmishes. We experience this daily. God's power, which comes through the strength of his Holy Spirit and the force of biblical truth, are what is required for this victory. Only through his strength will we be able to stand and fight in this ongoing spiritual conflict. Satan would like nothing better than for us to think of him as a little red cartoon character sitting in our shoulder, whispering naughty words in our ears. And as long as we think of him as that little pest that we can easily just brush off of our shoulder like a mosquito, we won't realize how insidious he is. But God has provided armor, an arsenal for us to do battle. And remember, we don't fight in our own strength. This is the only way that we can stand against Satan and temptation. Pay attention to the nature of the arsenal that's in this passage with which we believers have been supplied. It is the the strength of his might. The reality is that in our own strength, we are no match for Satan. Only when we rely on Christ's strength can we hope to defeat such a deceptive and destructive enemy. While we must not deny that Satan has the power to attack and ensnare us, we also must not attribute to Satan more power than he actually has. Satan is not the equal or the equal opposite of Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God, part of the triune God, the part of the Trinity. Satan is a created being. He is a created angel turned bad, who cannot do anything without God's consent. Let me remind you of what happened in the book of Job. Satan wanted to come and do things to Job to crush his faith. But he had to go into heaven, into God's presence, and ask God for permission to do that. And God said, well, you can do this, and you can do this, but I will not allow you to do that. And Satan was confined in what he could do. Satan is not the counterpart of Jesus. He is actually the counterpart of the archangel Michael. And if you want some backup for that, this afternoon turn to Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. But better than focusing on Satan's limitations, let's focus instead on the invincibility of Jesus. As Pastor Ben shared with us last week from Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus told his followers, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go and do what Jesus commanded because he has empowered us with the same power that he has been given. And let me follow up that verse with Philippians 4.13 where the Apostle Paul states, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, let's examine those individual pieces of armor that God has given us. Let's go to verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. 
Now, pastor and author Chuck Swindoll writes this in his commentary on Ephesians. There is a struggle going on between every Christ follower and our spiritual adversary. Because our enemy is unseen, we can be tempted to forget about the struggle altogether. The word fighting, transla- uh, the word uh, translated fighting, means wrestling. And he says, I have never seen wrestlers fight at a distance. If you're wrestling, you are extremely close to your opponent. You grab, you hold, you push, and you use leverage. In ancient Greece, during a wrestling match, there were no rounds. There, there were no resting periods. And there were not even any weight classes. It's similar in our battle with the enemy. You can't hope for the bell to ring to give you a rest break. You can't hope to tap out and let your your, uh, teammate finish for you. You can't even look at the referee and say, this guy's out of my weight class. You need to move me down to somebody who's my own size. This is the struggle of your life with a powerful and cunning enemy who is determined to take you out. The ancient theologian Jerome of Stridon wrote, This is not merely a physical temptation. It is not merely the inward struggle against flesh and blood. Rather, Satan has cleverly transformed himself into an angel of light. In other words, he's trying to make evil look good. He's trying to make himself and his ideas look like righteousness. This is exactly what's happening in our world today, isn't it? We are living in a day when people are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Let me summarize the end of Romans chapter 1. It says, They profess to be wise, yet have become fools. They traded the truth about God for a lie. Don't fall for a lie just because it sounds good. Trust only the Word of God. Read it. Know it. Memorize it. Meditate on this. Stand for what is true, because if you stand for nothing, you will fall for anything. Verse 14 says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Gird your loins. When was the last time you ever used the word gird or loins? Those are kind of old-fashioned words, aren't they? So I looked this up in the New Living Translation, and it says it this way, put on the belt of truth. Now, granted, we can't just read this through our 21st century lens and assume that uh, Paul is referring maybe to us guys of of, uh, something that holds our pants up, or maybe for the ladies, something that's a fashion accessory. The belt of a Roman soldier's uniform was a heavy six-inch wide leather belt, so about that thick, that was securing the soldier's tunic so that the material wouldn't hamper his movement. Now, you may have heard this before, but a Roman soldier wore a tunic, which was long, okay? But when it was time to go into battle, they would take the back of it and pull it up between their legs and tuck it into the belt so that they wouldn't be tripping on it. It was also used uh, to hold in place, or help hold in place the breastplate, and also it held the sheath for his weapon. So the belt had an important function of keeping him free, protected, and agile enough to protect or defend. In this imagery, the belt of truth is the truth of God. 
That's revealed in his written word, which is found in the Bible, right? In John chapter 17, which is where Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying for his, his followers. And it says in verse 17 of John 17, uh, sanctify them in the truth. Jesus is saying to God, sanctify my followers in the truth. And then he defines that your word is truth. So if we want this piece of the armor of God, truth, we must be reading the Bible. All right, let's move on now. This is the second half of verse 14. It says, having, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I think most of us who grew up uh, going to church and, and have heard anything taught on the armor of God, that's what it's always been called, the breastplate of righteousness. But as I read this in another translation, this is the way it was stated. Putting on the body armor of God's righteousness. The Roman breastplate was a large piece of leather, bronze, or even chain mail that covered both the front and the back of a soldier from his neck to his thighs. So this really is what we would refer to today as body armor. And I was just talking after the first service with one of our veterans, and he said that is exactly the description of body armor that we wear as soldiers. This is to protect the vital organs of the soldier, the heart, the lungs, the kidney, the liver, all of which are vital not only to the soldier's health but also to his well-being. A soldier that is in sword combat would not last very long without this breastplate, without this body armor. And, of course, none of them would ever step onto a battlefield without having it. Now, let's just be honest. As Christ followers, righteousness is not my righteousness. It's not your righteousness. It is not your goodness that will protect you from Satan. The Apostle Paul describes this in in Romans 3.22 as the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. This body armor, this breastplate of righteousness is crucial because the accuser of believers, which is the way that Satan is described, he loves to direct his arrows at the heart of our faith. He tries to convince us that God can't or maybe just won't bridge the gap that our sins have created between him and us. He tries to plant seeds of doubt regarding God's infinite grace. He shoots missiles of guilt and shame towards us, tempting us to believe that the love and forgiveness of God is conditional, that it's based upon our worthiness. But when we stand firm in the knowledge that God has declared us righteous, Based solely on the blood of Jesus, Satan's arrows penetrate our, don't penetrate our body armor of righteousness. All right, let's move on again. Now we're in verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Okay, I'm just going to take a quick quiz here. How many of you use shod this week? I don't see any hands. Okay. Let me quickly describe the Roman soldiers' footwear. They wore sandals. They had very thick soles that were made of leather that were about three-quarters thick. So I measured that's about from my first knuckle to the end of my finger there, that thick. 
and then they were studded with hobnails. What I want you to think of is cleats, like a football player or a baseball player, uh, something that, that gives you traction in dirt or even in mud. They were ideal for a fast-moving hand-to-hand combat. The gospel of peace is that confidence of support from God, which allows us as Christ followers to stand firm, knowing that since we are at peace with God, that God is our strength. Romans 10.15 says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. If you know that your peace with God is secure, and that it is because it is not based on your performance but on the work of Christ, then you won't slip or fall. You will stand firm against the attacks of Satan. But you will also be able to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, of peace with God to a troubled world. All right, now we're in verse 16. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So this Roman shield was an amazing defense mechanism. It was about four and a half foot oval or rectangle, so that would be from the floor to to right about here on me. That's a pretty big shield, isn't it, for one person to hold. It's made of wood, but it's framed in iron. Gave it great support. And then it's covered with leather that before they went into battle, they would soak in water. Now you're thinking, why would anybody soak their their shield in water. And it's because of what the enemy was doing. They were taking their arrows and dipping them in tar or some kind of uh, flammable material, lighting them on fire, and then shooting them at the enemy. Now, even if I uh, am able to stop a flaming arrow with my wood shield that has not been treated, pretty soon it's going to catch on fire, and it's either going to be disintegrated or I'm going to toss it aside and be vulnerable. But if I soak it in water, then when those arrows hit it, they are extinguished. That's impressive. But also in the battle, if I had soldiers on either side of me, our, our shields could lock together and almost form this wall of defense. And then there could be soldiers behind us that would put their shields on top, and they would lock in that way. And you have this front and top Uh, defense system that's going on. So what is the spiritual lesson here? What are these flaming arrows of the enemy? Let me list some for you. Temptation, doubt, anger, frustration, pride, despair, fear, guilt, shame, confusion, deception, discouragement, depression, hopelessness, greed, Lust, laziness, suspicion, jealousy, hate, conflict, anxiety. And I'm sure I didn't name everything. But the shield of faith is an impenetrable protection from all of these and more. So what is our spiritual shield? It's our basic trust in God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. 1 John 5, 4 says, This is the victory that has overcome our world, our faith. All right, uh, verse 17. 
and take the helmet of salvation. Now, in the first century, the Roman soldiers, uh, their helmets were made out of bronze, and then they were fit over a, uh, an iron skull cap, and then they're lined with leather because who wants to wear an iron skull cap, right? And then they also had a band that protected the forehead. They also had these slats that would protect the cheeks and the nose, and very little of the head was exposed to danger. Yet they could still look around and see all that was going on around them. The Christ follower's helmet, we're told in this illustration, is salvation. So is the Apostle Paul saying to these soldiers, you need to become saved? Or is he saying that if you, you don't have all of these other defenses, that you could lose that salvation? That's not what this is talking about, because the whole book of Ephesians is written to people who are already Christ followers. They already have salvation. So what is he saying? He's saying that Satan seeks to destroy a Christ follower's assurance of salvation. And he does that through doubt and discouragement. Let me remind you of what is found in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. There is nothing in those two verses that says if you don't feel saved next Friday, that maybe you're not. It doesn't say that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you have lived sin-free for the past month, that you will be saved. But also, don't put words in my mouth. If your life is inconsistent with what the Bible says, you need to do some self-evaluation and make sure that you are right with God. Let's continue on with the rest of verse 17. It says, And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, you've probably noticed up to this point that every piece of armor that we've talked about is for defense. This is the first and only piece of armor that is used for, for being on the offensive. The Roman short sword was used in hand-to-hand combat, and the blade was two-sided, was very lightweight, and was razor sharp. It was a highly effective weapon. The Christ follower sword is the Word of God, the Bible. And this is the only weapon that we're told that we need. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I don't know how to put this any more emphatically than Ephesians or Hebrews 4.12 just put it. This has to be central to your life. If you rarely read the Bible yourself, if you're just listening on Sundays when you come to church, you are putting yourself at a serious disadvantage. Read this daily. Highlight, underline, write notes in the margin. This is the only weapon you have for the spiritual warfare that you are involved in. Now, let me take this a step further. If you are not memorizing God's Word, it's like you're trying to do battle, and sometimes you have your sword, and sometimes you don't. 
This is not rocket science, folks. You just have to do it. We all make excuses. I've made excuses too, but it's time to stop with the excuses. I don't want to hear how busy you are. You need to memorize God's Word. I don't want to hear about all the things that you have to memorize for school or work. You still need to memorize God's Word. And I don't want to hear about how old you are and how hard it is to memorize Scripture when you're older. You've heard me say this before. My grandmother lived to be just 10 days shy of 100, and she was memorizing and reviewing Scripture until the day she died. There is no excuse. Just do it. This is life and death stuff. You would never dream of going into, into battle and leave your weapon at home. Now, maybe you're thinking, Pastor Scott, I don't leave my, my weapon at home. Um, I have an app right here on my phone, and believe me, I always have my phone with me. Well, that's great. Bible Gateway. Version, Blue Letter Bible, the Gideon Bible app. They're all great. I have some of them and I use them too. But there is nothing better than having the Word of God in your mind and in your heart. Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It doesn't get any more practical than that. Do you need some practical tips for memorizing God's Word? Here's how we all started doing it, right? Back in the day, three-by-five cards. You're thinking, well, I don't even know where to find three-by-five cards. Dollar store, okay? You get a pack of 100, and well, they cost you $1.25 now. It's cheap. It doesn't require any tech skills. Write down the verse you want to memorize. Read it every day. Try to look away from the card as much as you can. It's a foolproof method. How about semi-old school? The navigators have a topical memory system. Uh, These are the size of a business card. You can order this probably from Christian Book. You can uh, order, I'm sure you can order it from the navigators. It's their system, right? Uh, And they have uh, different passages that help you in different areas of life. Maybe it's uh, assurance of salvation. Maybe it's on how to avoid temptation. Maybe it's on how to have joy in your life or how to, to not have anxiety in your life. Uh, they also have an app, only $5. Now, I don't think it covers every verse in the Bible because it is a topical memory system. But the best app that I've ever found is the Bible memory app. I am not paid to tell you this, okay? The Bible Memory app. It's $10. You can use it on your phone or your computer. I've been using it for the whole 10 years that I've been here at FAC, and I have memorized literally hundreds of verses. Now, I don't say that to impress you because I didn't memorize hundreds of verses 10 years ago. That's over 10 years. That's like uh, uh, maybe 10 verses per month. Okay? We can all do that. The great thing about memorizing Scripture is that the Holy Spirit will use what you have stored in your brain and bring it to the forefront of your mind at the very moment that you need it. Maybe it's to resist temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you may be able to endure it. I memorized that when I was 18 years old. And God still brings that to mind at the moment that I need it. 
Maybe it's to offer counsel or advice to a friend or a family member, and, and the Holy Spirit will just bring that passage that you've memorized right to the front of your mind. Maybe it's uh, somebody asks you a life question at work or in your neighborhood, and if you hadn't memorized Scripture, you wouldn't know what to say until later after the situation is gone. If you were not, uh, let me just be blunt, okay? Let me rephrase that. Let me be more blunt than I've been all morning long. If you are not committing God's word to memory, you are limiting what God can do in your life, period. But Pastor Scott, that's so old-fashioned. Do you want to resist temptation? Do you want to be able to share God's truth with people? Do you want the Holy Spirit to control your thought life? Then memorize Scripture. But Pastor Scott, that's so legalistic to say that you have to memorize Scripture. Now, if that's your excuse, then you misunderstand legalism. Legalism means that you live your life by doing good works or trying to obey God's laws so that you can earn salvation. I never said that memorizing Scripture will save you because it won't. I said memorizing Scripture will help you to live the Christian life, which is exactly what Psalm 119.11 says. Legalism means that you are adding to the Christian life more than God has told you. I'm not adding to the Bible. I'm quoting the Bible. Let me bring all of this back and summarize it, okay? How do we put on spiritual armor? By daily absorbing scriptural truth. Living in obedience, sharing the gospel, and trusting God. The spiritual armor that we put on will protect us from spiritual attack. Only when we overcome temptation in the spiritual realm can we have victory in the physical world. Although we face a very real enemy who wants to destroy our souls, the good news is that God has given us everything that we need to be victorious in this life. Our armor consists of truth and righteousness, peace, faith, assurance of salvation, the Word of God, prayer, and the power of the Holy Spirit. So don't get caught in enemy territory unprepared. Put on the armor of God every day. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning so grateful that you have listed such practical instructions for us. Instructions on how to live a victorious life despite being in enemy territory, despite having an enemy that wants nothing but to destroy us. For those of you who are already following Christ, maybe this was a good reminder of something that you need to, to put on something that you need to do to make the Word of God. One of the most important things that you've ever done is to put God's uh, Scripture in your heart so that you can meditate on it throughout the day. But if you have not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are in the battlefield without any armor and without any weapons. You're going to lose. It's that simple. But that can change. And if you're at that point where you are ready to do that this morning, let's just take Romans 10.9 and pray through that together. You can pray uh, along with me silently or out loud. It doesn't matter. Just 
say, God, I, I know that I can't do this on my own. I've tried, I failed, and I'm ready to come to you. Father, I believe in, in my heart that you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth that, that Jesus is Christ and Lord, and, and I want to live my life for you. I want to be victorious, and so I want to put on this armor. God, would you come and redeem me and make me your child? Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.